1: Well, good morning. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup on KEDC. I am your host today, Pam Marvin, and it is February the twentieth, nineteen nineteen. Listen to me, twenty nineteen. Okay. <laughs> joining me this morning right now is is Deacon Frank Ashley, and he's he and I are going to be talking after the, the break on the virtue of perseverance. I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you for joining me today.
2: Pam, I'm just so happy to be here. Finally, glad I could finally I make know. it to your show.
1: I know, me too. Well, there's a we have some pre-recordings this morning, but before we get to that, I want to say that today is the start of the 30-day Consecration to Mary for our Palestine station, and please go to RedSeaRadio.org for more information and to join. But to start off, we are going to have a pre-recorded with Dean Wilhelm and Raymond Arroyo. Isn't that right? hmm All right, Gene.
0: And then followed by an interview with Father Timothy Gallagher, who's leading the retreat at St. Thomas Aquinas this weekend. And then we'll talk to you live on the other side of the break.
1: Other side of the break. And without further ado. This is
3: Gene Wilhelm, and I have on the phone with me now Raymond Arroyo, who is Mr. EWTN News and the world over. Good morning, Raymond. How are you doing? Hi, Gene. How are you? I'm fine. You've had a very busy week. Uh, It has been a busy week. Well, I've been in your neck of the woods. Well, not exactly, but close.
4: Uh, I was in El Paso this week for uh, covering the President's rally there and the Beto O'Rourke counter rally. And uh, so I'm happy to be back in D.C.
3: Well, it's always good to get home. Uh, Raymond, you're going to be the uh, keynote speaker at the 40 Days for Light benefit dinner this coming Thursday, the 21st, over at the Brazos County Expo Center. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be speaking about?
4: Well, I'm mean, going to really be talking about this struggle um, for for uh, the, the right to life and protecting and welcoming all life um, from conception till natural death. And this—it—it it, it, it strikes me as odd that this is even contested, or that we have to talk about such things. But um, given where we are as a culture, given where our law is at the moment, uh, what we're seeing all across the country—in—in in, uh, Virginia, in New York, in uh, all across, everywhere, Vermont—I mean, we're seeing it pop up everywhere. Uh, Louisiana, a struggle over a—a a, a simple bill to demand that those who perform abortions have admitting privileges at hospitals in case there's a problem. Uh, this has become a matter of, of, uh, conflict. And I, so we're going to talk about that, where this struggle is, why, why it's at the level it is. We, you know, it's the, the, the nice thing about the talk. I look, I've been to my share of pro-life talks in my day and they tend to be dreary affairs. So I, yes, I yeah. we. We, we find we find the light at the end of the tunnel and have a little fun around the edges, too. So I don't want everybody to think this is going to be a grim recitation. Uh, it's not. So uh, I, I will have a good time, and I'm looking forward to celebrating life as much as underscoring the challenges to it today.
3: My perspective on a lot of what's happening these days uh, with some of these issues is, uh, number one, apathy on the part of people. The other is the... Mm-hmm. Worship of self is another. The third one to me is a uh, what I'm, I, call a new wave of yellow journalism, where uh, there's more emotional, uh, emotionalism in reporting the news than reporting the news itself, and and doing that mm-hmm. from a per- particular perspective. You've been in the news business for a long time. What is your perspective on that?
4: Well, I, I mean, I would take a slightly different attack. What I see is, um a tribalism that is set in where journalists who were once the referees calling fouls and balls are now members of a team. That's a bad place for journalists to be. Um, And yet, both in in political coverage as well as now church coverage, which I never imagined I would see. even when you try to report something that is true because it offends one camp or another they attempt to push you into the opposite camp they attempt to brand you you know as part of team x or team y i don't like that um my reportage has offended everybody so uh, <laughs> i you know which i which i prefer actually and i like um but it, it is a that is, I think if there's a, if there's an implicit bias and a uh, toxification of the news, it's there, where everybody is being herded into a camp, and you are expected to recite the hymn of that camp, and if you d- deter from it in any way because the facts say something different, you're branded as as you know something else, and. Um, I don't like that. Our job is to simply bring you the truth and say, this is what's happening. You can like it or not like it. But as Flannery O'Connor, my favorite Southern author, often said, you know, truth does not change on your ability to stomach it. That's true. And that's kind of my approach to journalism.
3: Yes, true. Um,
4: I'm not here to – I don't make the message. I don't. All I do is package the message. But the message is made by the facts and reality. You may not like reality, but that's not my concern. My job is to bring you the truth no matter where it leads. And 24 years ago, almost now, when Mother Angelica charged me you know, with what EWTN News was supposed to be, she said, you'll be free to tell the truth here. And, um, and you'll have freedom to do that. And knock on what I have. Um, and that is a fleeting commodity even in the catholic circles it sure, uh, and sure it's it's something i treasure and value and thank my audience for because it really is their devotion you know and and commitment to us and to the show that allows us that freedom and um, you know and gives us and really
3: gives us the platform to to broadcast for those that maybe don't have cable and, and don't see ewtn news on a regular basis what can they do to filter out some of what uh, people see and hear on the news? And and a lot of, a lot of this is going even with the the pro life message that you're talking about.
4: Yeah. Well, look in the church. I mean, we, we, again, we have to be very candid. And Mother Angelica was known for her kind of blunt, you know, no nonsense truth telling, and for her humor. And 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 those are the things I like to think that I've uh, taken from her and learned from her um th- th- Right now, the notion of pro life has been stretched to a point where it 's practically um meaningless, and w- w- there are even Dicastries in Rome today who are attempting to make us believe that pro life means a whole host of issues in fact, it means everything it, it it now encompasses environmentalism, climate change, immigration rights uh gay rights all of that is now pro life well. That is not classically, you know, speaking, where the pro life movement got its dynamism or its identity. That, I think, is people attempting to co opt a growing movement of young people that was really nurtured for 49 years by largely women dedicated to the pro life cause, meaning a, a, a right to life for the unborn. That's what drove this movement. That's what it is. But even that is contested today. So you have, to, you have to read widely to answer your question. Um, I think, you know, I read five papers a day, I, I, I read tons of things online, and you have to find trusted sources. And I would always tell people read to the end of the piece. Oh, Often yes. the, the news is at the end of the piece, buried in the last paragraph, that nine times out of ten will contradict the headline. If you know, or, or 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 at least blunt the headline in a way that makes it, you know, untrue, or 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 not in any way reflective of the reality of that story. To, so that would be my advice: to,
3: to, to, to read deeply, to, read widely, and um and and disseminate good information to your friends. Uh, I think an event that happened in my life quite early was that I read in the local newspaper, and I don't recall the news event. But the, there was a news event uh, that was recounted on, like, page 3 from the AP and on page 11 from the UPI. And some of the basic mm-hmm. uh, story was the same, but it was a different story altogether. It was, it was almost like the classic thing where three people see an auto accident and they all report something different.
4: Of course. Yeah. No, well, this, is, this happens in life. Look, you get, I, I mean, I learned this working on biographies. People's memory, we capture snippets and facets of a story in our memory and in in the moment. But many times, your own biases, your perspective, where you're standing, who you talk to, all of that clouds, distorts, and changes your perception of that reality, which is why it's incumbent on reporters to get multiple sources on any story and to verify facts independently. And too often, we take one person's hearsay and run with it and make a headline. That's not good. So journalism has changed a lot. It's, it's, it's much too fast today. Uh, there's no time for gestating a story. You know, there was a time even in TV journalism where you would record a story and then you'd have to process the film. It was then shot on film. That would take time. Then you have to edit it by hand. That would take more time. And he, that gestation allowed you to shape the tale and think through, and get on the phone, and verify what you heard yes. to 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 um, fortify the story. You don't have that time anymore. Everything's instantaneous now. Yep. We're live feeding everything, and that leads to sloppy outcomes. And so We're, people have to just be on guard against that. It's 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 sadly the nature of news. And once uh, you know networks realized they could make money off of news, it became a commodity. And the more yes. you had, and the faster it came, the better. And that's not always
3: good for journalism, for journalism. No, it isn't. It really isn't. Raymond, we are about out of time. I thank you so much for giving us this time to talk to you a little bit. For those of you that have heard this or know about Raymond Arroyo, uh, you are still have the opportunity to buy tickets for the Pro-Life Banquet, which is next Thursday, February 21st, 2019, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Brazos County Expo Center. Uh, pack the house and hear what Raymond has to say, and you may even have an opportunity to ask him a question or two yourself.
4: Yeah, Gene, I'm also. It's also the week of release for my the third of my children's series, the Will Wilder series, which um, releases on the Tuesday. So I'll be signing books as well. It's the first, really, my first big book stop outside of uh, New York. So I'm excited to be with you all, and
3: Brian. That is very exciting. Thanks again, Raymond, and I hope you have a great day and safe travel here and back can't wait. Thank you, Gene.
0: Okay. Bye. Okay. That was Gene Wilhelm with Raymond Royal. He's going to be speaking at the 40 Days for Life benefit on this Thursday. Next, we have a pre-recorded interview with Father Timothy Gallagher, giving the Discernment of Spirits retreat this weekend at St. Thomas Aquinas. Take a listen to Father Timothy, and then we'll be back on the other side of the break live with Deacon Frank Ashley and your beautiful host, Pam Marvin. Well, I'm here with uh, a very esteemed guest that we have coming to Aggie Land on February 23rd, Saturday at Saint Thomas Aquinas. Father Timothy Gallagher, who is an oblate of the Virgin Mary uh, since 1979. Father Timothy, thank you for coming on Red Sea Catholic Radio.
5: Oh, my pleasure.
0: I am. Uh, there's a lot of people here in College Station, Brian, who are expectant for your visit, and. Please uh, start off by telling me about what drew you to this road of Ignatian spirituality, and I think that that question also fits pretty nicely with a new book that you have coming out, which is Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits.
5: Yes, I'd say the answer to those questions is pretty similar. What initially, excuse me, drew me to the oblates of the Virgin Mary? This was the early 70s, and you may recall that was not a, uh, it was a pretty confused time in a lot of ways. Was yes. the clarity of its identity? Uh, I loved the Marian aspect of it, as the name indicates. It was very clear in terms of its love of the Holy Father and the teaching of the Church, and just seemed to have a a strong clear identity that really drew me. Mm -hmm. And then as I got to know the founder, who is the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, an Italian priest, um, and his love for the Ignatian exercises, that's what led me to um first discover the Ignatian spiritual exercises and I, I just fell in love with them. I couldn't learn enough about them. I loved when I had the opportunity to make the full 30 day retreat and that was the beginning, <clears throat> and shortly after ordination, I began to give very simple talks based on the exercises, and it kept growing into what's now a full-time ministry, really, with Ignatian discernment and prayer. And uh, The latest book that you mentioned actually came out in November, mm-hmm. and it's a follow-up on some earlier books, but it's a much more personal book than uh, some of the earlier books. It gives me a chance to share some of my own thoughts and experience in uh, in this daily Life of discernment that Ignatius teaches with such clarity and practicality.
0: Yes. Now, someone who is not familiar with what discernment of spirits is, and maybe maybe kind of aim this response at the person who maybe is on the fence right now. Maybe they uh, they haven't gone to many retreats. Maybe they feel like they don't have a very active prayer life, but there's something in them that uh, knows that they're capable of more, and that uh, and they want more. What is this retreat going uh, to—how is it going to help them draw closer to our Lord?
5: I think that most of us, if we were asked to say what we mean by discernment of spirits, we probably wouldn't be uh, too sure of our answer. But what it means very simply is this. Uh, You and I know, we all know, that as we live our spiritual life, there are times when we have spiritual energy. When prayer is alive, God feels close— um, being in church is a source of energy, and we feel the nourishment of it when we have energy for taking new steps in the spiritual life and living our respective vocations. But if we're honest, we'll also recognize that there are times when, for reasons that we don't always understand, the bottom seems to drop out of that energy. And then, if we're honest, at such times, if I may say this reverently, uh, it's hard to even want to pray. Mm -hmm. Perhaps we don't pray or pray less or are not quite happy with what's happening in our spiritual life at such times. There's less energy for church-related things and for new steps in the spiritual life. Well, these ups and downs are going on all the time in the spiritual lives of every one of us. Ignatius of Loyola is not the only one who has described this kind of daily up-and-down spiritual experience, but Certainly, is the one who in this church, the church's spiritual tradition, has described it with the greatest clarity, practicality, and usability. So that's essentially what this day will be about. It's exploring and making sense out of the ongoing daily spiritual experience that we all have so that we benefit fully from the times of spiritual energy in the way that God intends in giving them. And we navigate safely through the times when there is less spiritual energy or times of spiritual desolation to use Ignatius word for such Mm -hmm. times. And you know, today, uh, today, I think it's really more and more important now that we learn this because there are reasons around us in the church and the world for feeling discouraged or desolate. And so a teaching which equips us to understand that experience and know how to not only come through it without harm, but actually grow, through such times is, I think, of great value to us today. So that will be what will be offered on that day.
0: That is beautiful. I am struck by the fact that I think it is. it seems to f- so fully um, recognize that we are not simply spiritual creatures. We are spiritual and um, mortal creatures. It recognizes our humanity and says, there's something. There is goodness and greatness in your in your humanity, and it's not a reason for for despair. And this is how you uh, how you live that out day to day. Is that is that fair to say?
5: Absolutely. You know, right from the beginning of Scripture, God looked at all that He had made and saw that it was good. So yes, there is a fundamental sense of um, of the goodness of, of the way that God has made us as human beings. Now, we do have certain vulnerabilities, and our theology understands these as the legacy of original sin Mm -hmm. and its aftermath. And so, again, a teaching which equips us to understand those vulnerabilities and come through them safely without being harmed by them so that we solidly go forward and fully experience and express um, all of the goodness that God has placed in us and toward which he calls us. Again, it's such a valuable teaching. That's why exactly I call the new book Setting Captives Free. That's Jesus' mission, to set us free from discouragement, from lies, from the temptations of the evil ones, mm-hmm. evil ones, so that we can solidly move forward toward the Lord. And that freedom is a beautiful thing.
0: I know that my, uh, my co-host this morning, she is very interested in um, helping people develop the, the human virtues, um, capacities like, um, you know, the cardinal virtues, to take one, one example. What can, the, what can discernment of spirits do to help uh, Catholics improve the, their grasp and practice of the cardinal virtues?
5: Well, as our Catholic understand, uh, theology understands the virtues, we have these on two different levels. We have them on the natural level. So there is a natural prudence or wisdom about life and a natural sense of um, a call to live just, justly and so forth. But through the gift of baptism and the uh, inpouring of God's grace, we also possess these cardinal virtues and all the virtues actually also on a supernatural or spiritual level. And that's the level in which God's grace is working, which is the most important thing, certainly. Redemption, grace, always is the final word uh, in our Catholic faith and understanding. But there is also an evil one, who Ignatius most commonly calls the enemy, Mm -hmm. who will try to disrupt and discourage and lead us away from those virtues. And so Ignatius' specific contribution in this set of 14 rules, which are on the spiritual level, is to equip us to understand and know how to respond to the wealth of spiritual experience that is happening, for example, as we try to live these four cardinal virtues—fortitude, prudence, temperance, and so forth—justice—and mm. that is a great, uh, a great gift. I know of nowhere else in the entire Catholic spiritual tradition where there is a parallel, um, clear and usable teaching. And you know, um, I've been teaching this now, traveling for about 35 years. <sighs> And I love seeing a light go on in people's eyes. Sometimes you can almost literally see it happen hmm. when people say, "Finally, now I understand what's been going on in my spiritual experience," and finally, now I know what to do about it. Yes. And that's where you get the freedom, which is such a beautiful thing.
0: Well, it sounds like you're the Lord is making it possible for you to be an instrument of His breakthrough of grace, and we are. I'm hoping that that this literal light coming on in people's eyes will happen many times when you visit us uh, here on February 23rd father Timothy Gallagher thank you so much and have safe travels here to Aggieland, land and we will be welcoming you with open arms
5: thank you and I look forward to being there
0: you're welcome thanks for the time
2: I've
1: been' I can, cause
2: I am. I was dead in the grave,
1: very okay, in <laughs> Red Sea Roundup. And I am so thrilled today uh, to have Deacon Frank Ashley on the air with me. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Pam. I'm I'm glad we're finally able to work this out and schedule it. I've been wanting to do this for so long.
1: I And I have been wanting to have you on because uh, I really, I adore your um, your homilies. They really, you know, everybody kind of has their own kind of language, I think, when it comes to spirituality, and you really speak one of mine, so I'm so <laughs> thankful to have you on today. But, you know, I want to tell our listeners who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, I say, I know you as Deacon Frank Ashley, but you work for the Bush School of Government. You're a dean?
2: Yes, I'm an associate dean, senior associate dean at the Bush School of Government. For? For uh, Texas A&M University. Oh, wait, was it, no,
1: you're doing what? some of the diversity you teach. Oh, cl-
2: yeah. I, t- I teach a, a course managing diversity in the workplace. Oh. So we, we have a lot of fun in the class. I a bet.
1: I bet. So I, I if you don't follow Deacon Frank on uh, Twitter, what's your handle? Because I really enjoy your tweets. They're just really, really clever.
2: Uh, it's at FAshley53.
1: Oh, perfect. Perfect. So follow for Dick and Frank. He's uh, always very colorful and he's lovely to watch and learn from as well. So speaking of learning from things, he was on my heart, folks, to to come on the show to talk about uh, virtue in general. So he and I had a, a conversation about, you know, what do you think we should talk about? What is what in your heart? And he's like, oh, I think perseverance would be a very good one. (laughs) So let's just open it up about, I'm going to, I'm going to start off with just a basic definition of perseverance. Ready?
2: Okay. I'm ready.
1: Perseverance is not giving up. It is persistence and tenacity and the effort required to do something and keep doing it till the end, even if it's hard. Perseverance originally comes from the Latin perseverentia and means to abide by something strictly. That sounds so overwhelming. And our culture today is like, well, I'm going to go ahead and run from all of those words. I'm
2: glad that you said the word, Latin word because I, I didn't want to even mess with that. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, this idea of perseverance was really on my heart. And if you look at examples in the Bible, I think the greatest thing we we look at is Job. Mm. The fact that Job had everything and everything was taken away from him. And uh, I mean, at one point in time, his wife and his friend said, just curse God, die. just Just get it over with. <laughs> but Job said, no, no. And because he was so faithful, because he persevered, everything was given to him. Tenfold, mm. and I, and and really, um, the same thing really applies to us. You know, we, we look at things in our life and we go, you know, why did God put this in front of me? Why 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 am I having to do this? But um, we learn if we persevere, the rewards are great for us if we can do that. But it's it's not easy.
1: No, you know, as you're saying that, I think that, you know, life experience is one thing that's given me more um, a strength because I can see the fruit it's born in the past. But I think when you're younger and these things happen, it just you cannot imagine what good it is for when you're in the midst of the kind of whatever suffering it may be if you're persevering but you know we could talk about things like persevering in prayer as well through dryness which go to discernment of spirits this weekend he helps you out with that a little bit <laughs> he's very good father gallagher as we heard uh but you know persevering in our faith um through through times of dryness and times of uh, just sadness and things like that so there's a lot to this perseverance thing but you know I think one of the things to do is talk about those fruits because let's share our experiences of it and the fruits that we have benefited and to tell people who have not quite been there yet, the fruit is there. It's waiting for you on the other side of your trial.
2: Yeah, and I think a good example that... uh, I got so many examples in my life where I felt like I've had to persevere, just first of all, and I think many people can being here in College Station, uh, can relate to just going to college. <laughs> you know, some people that may have taken six, seven, eight, nine.
1: You can't do that anymore. Ten years. <laughs> like well, you. you you can go ten years. You can go ten years.
2: But taking ten years to graduate, but then look at the fruits of that, of their education. But uh, j- just thinking in my personal life, I, you know, I was talking to you earlier about uh, going on a retreat, silent retreat two weekends ago. And uh, at eleven o'clock that night, the electricity went out, which means the heat went out, and it was thirty-two degrees outside. And the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, well, Frank, you know, you've got money; you can go stay at a hotel, and uh, you don't have to sit here and freeze like this. But then, all of a sudden, I started thinking, you know, I'm here in a retreat, and I'm here in a try retreat to, to try to get closer to God, to closer to Jesus. And just think of everything that Jesus did, all his suffering, and you're sitting here whining about being cold. Mm. And and at that moment, I realized that okay, no, I, I just just put some more clothes on, just sit here. But that's just a that's just a something simple about a, a little example of perseverance, right? But but I I think about my 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 whole journey in the diaconate. Oh. Uh, you know, it's me being a deacon is a, a blessing for me. I mean, you mentioned my homilies, and every time something, men, someone mentioned something about my homilies, I say, "Hey guys, it wasn't me. Mm. It wasn't me. I was just—I mean, the Holy Spirit just filled me up, and I was—I was just a vessel." But, um, but uh, uh, my formation in the diaconate was a story of perseverance because I, I started here. In the Austin Diocese in formation. Um, after the first year, my wife was diagnosed with cancer.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it was, it was very serious. Uh, I had two very young kids. One kid was about— How old were they at the time? Oh, I think my oldest was like uh, five or six oh, and the youngest really? one, four. Wow. I was director of admissions here at Texas a and M. A a very stressful job. And so the committee called me in and said, you know, Frank, we think you really ought to drop out of the program. This is
1: the right? diaconate committee. The, yes, the wow. committee from
2: the diocese. They said, "We really think with everything you got going on in your life, you really don't don't need this because we're taking 12 hours of graduate coursework." And and I remember sitting there in the meeting and actually crying, saying, please don't ask me to do this because this program is the only thing that's helping keep my life mm. together. I mean, it was the the relationship, uh, the spirituality of the program. Mm-hmm. So they, they allowed me to continue, and then after the second year, I changed jobs, and I had to move from College Station to Dallas, and there was no guarantee that the Dallas Diocese was going to allow me to continue. Mm. So meeting with the individuals in the Dallas's diocese, they said, well, you're a year behind our program, so we don't, we don't know if you can catch up. Wow. But, you know, after a lot of prayer, they allowed me to continue in the program. And then I wasn't allowed to— I wasn't going to be allowed to graduate with the guys. So once again, that was another slam where I could have said, I just had enough of this. And they told me, okay— you could go to summer school, pay for your classes, and take twelve hours and If you pass those classes, then we'll consider it.
1: oh my goodness,
2: so um, I took twelve hours of graduate coursework in the summertime while being the dean of a college
1: well but let me let me slow down just a second and say what was it that was behind it? Was it because you were being so deeply fed by what you were learning that kept i mean because this it's pretty big of a mountain to try and overcome, um but what was going through your minds like what was your why? What was your what gave you that extra tenacity that you did need to 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 get through all that?
2: You know, I, let me tell you a little bit about my background. I grew up uh, as a Southern Baptist. <laughs> Almost everyone in my family was a preacher. Mm. I originally went to college to become a preacher. So it's amazing that, you know, here I am, a Catholic deacon right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like God was calling me to ministry. And here I was uh, after converted to Catholicism training for uh, the diaconate, going studying for the diaconate. And I felt like, you know, God may have put some of these little roadblocks in my way to help me understand and really understand that, and, and and really discern whether he was really calling me to do this. Mm. But I I felt like I had to persevere because this is what God wanted me mm. to do. Mm-hmm. I felt this calling to be a deacon. And even until ordination, I had to ask myself, God, are you calling me to do this or is this something I just want to do because mm. it's it's something I've always done? But it's... I mean, finally, I was ordained with the class and everything, and uh, when, when I look at the way that I'm able to help other individuals, I realize that it was through my perseverance of everything that was put in front of me that I'm now able to serve God and God's people as a deacon.
1: Right. And, and so you've kind of alluding to it, but not said it outright, that the fruit of this really has been how how much that God feeds you through ministering to others, which is which is at the end of the day what we're all called to.
2: That's, that's so true. I mean, you and I had the conversation about we need to be fed, but also mm. we are sent to feed others.
1: So true. And persevering that and the different types of fruit that come of it. And the balance and everything, I think, is such a really good point as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Lent's coming up, and so I know a lot of people are probably thinking about, <laughs> what are we going to do for Lent, and how am I going to persevere? And I think you had some pretty wise things to say, because we want to talk about perseverance through Lent. So go ahead and, and kind of speak about how to make choices for Lent. Um making good choices that can last for a long time yeah. and persevering through those. I,
2: I think that there are two key things. First of all, uh, I remember sitting here at St. Mary's right after i become Catholic and hearing uh, Father Dean Wilhelm, uh talk about, um, about Lent. And he talked about, you know, why don't you do something this different? Instead of giving something up, Try to do something different Do something positive And I'd never You know I know a lot of people Look at Lent as, Lent as punishment Okay I, I gotta change I gotta do something different Or whatever I give up chocolate or I give up screaming at people Whatever <laughs> But you know I like this idea of doing something positive
1: mm-hmm. You know what
2: can I do very positive and And for me it was Okay Maybe I can spend more time with my children. Maybe I can do this for my wife. Maybe I can go to daily mass. I love that one. Maybe I can pray more. Make sure that I'm praying every meal. I'll do morning prayers or something like that. Love it. And and take it at little chunks. Don't try to do too much, but just do little things. So Because if you do that at the beginning, it can become a habit.
0: Now... Honestly, folks, we did not set this up this way, but we are going to be having a Lenten listening challenge here at Red Sea Radio. We're going to be inviting people in our listening area to add one hour of Catholic radio every day during Lent. So if you're already a four-hour listener, listen for five hours. If you're a zero-hour listener, you just tuned in, or you know somebody that could use an injection of Catholic radio into their life... Ask him to, to join us, and we're going to give you a hashtag to put out on social media and mm. tell people you're doing it, and try to get try to get people to add an hour of Catholic Radio right. into your life. So that's
1: perfect, well, and
2: Frank, I mean, perfect. It's perfect. Holy Spirit, guys, yeah. Holy Spirit, come. and you didn't even pay me to say that. No, I mean, it's just not. amazing how well, it
1: came out. Yeah, let's go back to the because the Linton Challenge. Um, that is literally how I began um, increasing in going to daily Mass because the Lord had really put on my heart. A long time ago, to to go to daily mass on a regular basis, on a regular basis, and um, it was Lent where I thought, and it was it was it was Father Dean as well says, so you know, start a good habit. What good habit? Like, look at the desires. God puts holy desires on your heart. Look at those holy desires and see how that can translate into your Lenten journey of something. Positive and good to do for Jesus. So that's how I started with. Okay, I'm going to increase. Like the first year, it was like I'm going to start making a habit of going to to daily mass at least once during the week, and then subsequent years, you know, adding to it. Yeah. And now I find the opposite is true. I can't not go. Like I really miss it. At first, it was tough, right? But then it becomes so beautiful, and that fruit of. Wow, I'm really fed and my day goes better. Um, Life is more beautiful starting out that way. Uh, I can't imagine not doing it.
2: And, you know, and the human side of us sometimes tries to get in the way. Mm. Do you really want to do that? Well, you know, I could sleep a little bit longer or I could do this. But, you know, after we do it, after we do it, we feel so Good. It's like me when I travel. We, uh, with my other job, I had to travel all over the country. And I got an app on my phone call, Mass Times. So no matter what city I was in, I could get on that app. It had a locator. And I could find out where there was mass and what time that mass would be. And, you know, and, and I'm traveling all over the place. And it would be easy for me to say, Hey, listen, I'm traveling. I don't need to go to mass or whatever. You know, God God's okay with that because he knows I'm working. But once again, I developed that habit of going, mm. I'm persistent. Mm-hmm. And I, Persevering. Know, I know I need to be fed.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I work, I go, I'm fed, and I feel so good about mm. that.
1: You know, there's one thing that I'm really hearing kind of a, a theme That's kind of coming out in our conversation. And one is what you just so perfectly said about that human side. Our first reaction um, is, oh gosh, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do all that. But when we push through that and we persevere through that for the greater good of our souls, then He feeds us, and all that stuff starts to kind of wash away or get less significant. So I really want to encourage people that just remember your first impression oftentimes is going to be a very human response. But then give it a second and wait for it and see what the more, um, let's say, a Holy Spirit response would be. Like, what is God calling you to? Not what do you want, but what is God calling to you in the moment? You know, I gave you
2: the example of uh, Christmas Eve. I love this
1: story. Tell (laughs) us, tell us.
2: (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all, the Sunday before Christmas, uh, I had a couple that uh, came to me after Mass and said, you know what, Deacon Frank, you know, my wife's pregnant. We might have the baby during Christmas. You know, how how can we make sure that we receive communion? So I I gave him my cell phone number. I said, here's my cell phone number. I'll make sure I get someone to bring you communion just in case the baby comes. Yeah, didn't think anything about it. That was Sunday. Uh, The next day, Christmas Eve, my wife is speaking to someone who's who's having problems. And uh, my wife says, well, would you like my husband to come over and pray with you? And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe she did that here. It's Christmas Eve. I got to go to mass <laughs> later on the night. I can't believe she. And so my wife just looked at me and said, okay, when do you want him to come over? So I go,
1: Okay, i got to go over it. So your human reaction was first. A human reaction,
2: but, you know, I gathered my prayers and everything. I went over, and I, I prayed with the person. And, uh, it, oh, my God, it was just such a blessing being there with the, the— it was a young lady and her family, and we just had a great prayer service right there. And then I left just feeling, th- you know— And you were filled. Oh, God. Thank you for allowing this to happen to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm driving home, and then my cell phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's the guy who I talked to Sunday says, Deacon Frank, my wife just had a baby, and we're not going to be able to go to, to Mass. Can you bring us communion? So I'm going like, well, where are you? So they tell me the hospital, and I go, okay. So I go to the church. I pick up the Eucharist. Then I walk in the room. There's the husband, the wife, and the newborn.
1: Mm -hmm. And I go,
2: When did she have the baby? She goes, Oh, an hour ago. So I have a communion service there. I bless the baby. And then I get in my truck and I drive away. But before I drive away, I said, God, thank you. Thank you. I'm a, I'm about to celebrate the birth of your son hmm. tonight. Thank you, but once again, my first human reaction was, "It's Christmas Eve. Come on, why do I have to do these <laughs> things?"
1: But yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's
2: the Holy Spirit that that helps us to persevere right. and to put that human side away and say,
1: "No, no." Even Jesus did that on the cross, oh, Lord. Geez. let this cup pass from me. But Not my will, yours be done. And I I think that needs to be our second thought when we first have that. It's like, oh, I you know, I I tell the Holy Spirit, yeah, I don't want to be in charge of my own will, Lord. I think you can do so much better with it than I can. So I just want to keep turning it over to you every time I have those kind of reactions. And as you just so well spoke about um, the fruit that it bears in our own souls when we serve, when we let Jesus use us as as an instrument of the Holy Spirit to to bless others, it, it fills us so much indeed.
2: But it's, once again, it's a perseverance yeah. because the human side will tell us, no, don't do it. Nah, 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 it's not worth it. But when we persevere and we work through it, I mean, right. the, the, the right. blessings that we receive, they're, they're just incredible.
1: So I think what I would say, because like, one of the things I really want our listeners to take away is what is a, a tool that I can use to grow in the virtue of perseverance, and my first one, well, it's kind of a twofold. You find your why, and the why is for Jesus a lot of times, and there is fruit there. and And if you're if you haven't experienced this by pressing through, maybe you're not as familiar, uh, but there is that fruit and the the fruit of. Uh, Loving, you know, we are all the branches, and he is the the vine, the branches. I'm confused, Uh, but you see what I'm saying. So, we we want to bear fruit for him, and it's there. So, I think what would you suggest is another kind of the small steps that we can take to grow in perseverance, especially in light of Lent coming up?
2: You know, the, the thing about it, it's unfortunately a lot of times we want to see immediate results.
1: Mm-hmm. We want,
2: you know if I, if I do this, then immediately what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But it's it it's it's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. This Christian journey that we're on, it's not a sprint. You know, and it it it's it's a distance race.
1: It's a marathon. <laughs> it, it is a
2: marathon. It's much more than a marathon. For someone with short legs like me, and, you know, a lot of times it gets real tough. It gets real tough. But it's we we, it's through prayer that we understand. We understand this race, this journey that we're on. And uh, it's like a marathon. You, you don't just go out and run a marathon. You sort of train for it. And you do it in little steps. And you go a little bit further and a little bit further. And it's the exact same, th- same thing with this spiritual journey that mm-hmm. we're on. It's the small steps, and we'll we may see we may see these 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 fruits of our labor, but a lot of times we don't it's like uh it's like me with students. I've had students at a and m who ten fifteen years later have come back and said, You know Dr. Ashley, whatever you did for me, it changed my life oh. And it's—I you, mean, you—you you, you don't realize it. It's the exact same thing, you know. Sometimes people come out of church and say, "Hey, thanks for that homily. It—it mm. it really, it really did something for me."
0: Hey, Deacon Frank, <clears throat> talk about it. Talk about perseverance from the other direction. Which, what I mean is, not the length of this life, but the shortness of this life in comparison to eternity and what's uh, on the other side, and what kind of. Decisions we're making in this life for what we want to, what we hope to achieve on the other side.
2: Well, and how we have to persevere. To be honest with you, what I what what I'd like to do is I'd I'd like to just read this right here from Timothy, if I can. Uh, And it's it's what I have written down. It's the real picture of joy as a Christian who's persevered to the end. Second Timothy four six through eight. For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, Mm. not to me only, but unto all them also. That love is appearing. Amen. If you are a Christian, if you have faith, that's our goal. Mm. That's our ultimate goal. And it and and I really wonder, you know, for people who don't have faith, what do they have to look forward to? But I know as a not just as a deacon, but as a Christian, I know that I have one of those crowns waiting for me. Mm. And I can't wait till that day that God himself will give me that crown to wear. And it's not just for me, but it's for for everyone who believes. So I live every day of my life knowing that that's my goal, mm. to wear that crown.
0: And so that's why we have to persevere in, in holiness, right? That's While true. While we're here.
2: That's it right. right there. Yeah. Because we don't know how long we have here. That's right. Yeah. No one knows the day or hour.
1: That's right. Which on that note, I was also thinking, um, I've already bought the book for my Lenten journey of Memento Mori. (laughs) Remember your death, which is exactly kind of what we're talking about. Um, I had a conversation about it yesterday because, um, wow, that's like really puts things in perspective. When you think about the moment that you have to go and be judged by our Lord and Savior, Right now I feel a great sense of joy and anticipation of that but then I'm thinking okay I've got some work to do um, in the purification and, and and the virtue of of purity I love that's this's been one of my themes for the last couple of years when I and when I say yeah. that I mean that's mind heart word deed everything kind of purity um, which is also a very good yeah. Linton. Thought, guys, if I just throw that out there, you know, how is your speech? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? Is it pure? Is it beautiful? Is it lovely?
2: I think one thing to look at is, and some people might look at it as morbid, but imagine this lit as your last lit Mm -hmm. on earth. What would you do? If If this is your last lit on earth, what what would you do different this year? Because I think we say, "Well, oh, I didn't do it this Lent. I'll do it next Lent. Oh, I didn't do it this Lent. I'll do it next Lent." But I and I yeah. think it, it it this whole idea of living every day like it's your last day on
1: earth, mm. whole different perspective.
2: It's a totally different perspective,
1: right?
2: Because once again, the human side says, "Well, I remember last Lent. I said I was going to do this, but I didn't
1: do it. So I'll do it this Lent." Right. Or well, if I didn't do that, I'll, I'll do it next. Now, that reminds me. I, I um, I lost a dear friend almost ten years. It'll be ten ten years ago this year. It was college roommate. You know, she died very young at forty two, and um, her and her husband had a a beautiful relationship, and they but they did quite, bicker quite a bit. But once she got her diagnosis, and it was pretty terminal, she had a glioblastoma. Um, their whole relationship changed because they knew her time was short. Yeah. And it was a beautiful witness to me. And she, um, he, he said, "Yeah, we don't argue anymore because there's just nothing worth arguing over."
2: No, no. It was I, a whole different perspective. Yeah, I, and and you know, it you know, look at her perspective. I, I think back to when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, and I thought I was going to lose her. That's how bad it was. Uh, before that day, and I and I tell I tell a lot of people this story. I even tell my students this story in class. Um until that day I had never taken a day off from work. Mm. Because I felt like if one of the kids was sick, my wife could take off from work. But when when she got real sick and I actually had to take off work, it helped me realize that, hey, listen, work's not that important. That she was the most important thing mm. in my life. But you know, And I and I tell people, hopefully, it it won't take anything that dramatic for you to realize that. Mm. But it's it's so important for us to understand that. Um. You got to set priorities. You got to set your priorities. And to me, my family, my spirituality, are my my top. My relationship with God, and my family, are my top priorities.
1: Amen. Yeah,
2: And I know a lot of things, a lot of times other things jump up in your life, but that's that whole thing about perseverance, knowing that that's the most important thing in my life and I'm going to persevere. That's going to always be the most important thing in my life.
1: Right. Small steps. That's the first key small you said. Steps. Key for small step. Yeah, I, I, you know. let I love using the exercising and the marathon analogies. Um, it, in this particular instance, think of. I mean, I, I reflect on those mornings where I. Thanks be to God, I had a, a boot camp friends for several <laughs> years where we got up twice a week at five a.m. We're meeting by five fifteen to to get it done, and there were some mornings in there where every fiber in my body was screaming, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) But I persevered, spent time with these ladies, got to exercise, and I was always grateful. I was always thankful afterwards. I mean, that was part of the perseverance, that you push through the yuck to get the reward on the other side of, you know, the fruit of feeling better.
2: You know, another thing you mentioned, too, the fact that you did it with A boot camp. Yes. So if you want to do something this Lent, maybe talk to a friend and say, this is what we're going to. We're going to go to daily mass once. As a family, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot lot easier if you have someone on that journey with you. So that's a good suggestion right there, just like a boot camp. If you've got a good friend out there, say, hey, listen, let's go to daily mass at least once a week.
1: At least once a week. Yep, 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 yep.
2: Because if you may not want to go, you've got that friend who's going to go, remember, we promised we we're going to do this.
1: Or saying the rosary together, too. That's another good one right there. Yeah, that's another awesome.
0: Or adding one hour oh. of Red Sea Catholic <laughs> Radio.
1: Amen, brother. <laughs> exactly. So I I really... um this has really gotten me motivated too. I mean, I think we do have to find our motivation and, and at the end of the day, the small steps and um, concentrating on the fruit. Like for instance, when I used to be a really hate to clean my kitchen, but now I do it out of love and I imagine how good it feels clean and it motivates me. So look, think about the end result, peace of heart. When we're yes. talking about prayer, yes. it's really quite beautiful. Well, can you believe it? We're just about out of time. Wow. I know it went by so fast. Will you come on again?
2: Oh, anytime you want to. I would love
1: that. Anytime you want to.
2: Could you
0: give us, a, on our listeners, a blessing before you go, Deacon?
2: Yeah. The Lord be with you.
1: And with your spirit.
2: And may almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank and you. And let's go in peace, glorifying the Lord by our life.
1: Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. Until next time, go and love your neighbor.
2: I'll rise again, rise again Since you wake up this dead man walking Shake off rumors and talking